Amen. My name is Brian Wages. I'm the worship pastor here. And uh, as Jason said, Pastor Jeff is in Kurdistan. So be praying for him until he gets back. He's supposed to get back sometime this week because um, he's actually in the aforementioned Gary's wedding. So um, let's pray that that all works out. I have a message today that I think is really important. And I think it's really important for us as a church as I was praying. Um, this title is kind of, I had to, we have, like Jeff said, we have titles now. So I had to make up something that, that's not that great. I mean, it is, that is what we're going to talk about, but that's not compelling, you know. Oh, I realized last time I spoke, the message I gave gave a title, and I accidentally skipped the part at the end and made that all make sense. So if you listen to that message and we're like, what is he, this has nothing to do with the title, then that was user error. There was something on the back of one of the sheets, and I didn't say it because I didn't see it. So so what I missed is, no, I'm just kidding, anyway. So that's the title, Awareness and Goodness. But this is, when I was praying about the message this week, I saw a picture, a prophetic image that I believe God gave me, uh, prophetic being a word from God for us, okay? And it's a picture. It came in a picture form, and I think it was for our church, and it has to do with us as individuals and as a whole. So if I, as I'm speaking, you're like, this isn't really about me, it's about our church, okay? You know, there's elements that I think are for every single person here as an individual and for all of us here as a whole. You have to think in those terms. And I also believe that this is predominantly for those of us who would say we are followers of Jesus, okay? I think there's value in it for everyone, every person, you know, any person that's here. You go, I don't even know who Jesus is. I'm not even sure I believe in that. There's, there's plenty of stuff in here for you that, that God is saying to you, but it's predominantly for those who are followers of Jesus but feel as though there's something wrong. There's some sort of logjam. The picture I saw was this, that God, we were praying in our lives or in our church that we want to see God's spirit pour out, do something amazing. Some people call this breakthrough. Some people call this whatever. And that I saw like this river, like the river of God in Revelation or in Ezekiel or whatever, flowing. And then there's just this jam, log jam of like a, like a dam of just collected junk. And it wasn't something God did. Like God break through the, you know, it's like, well, this is, you know, you put this here. You know what I mean? It was almost like we had built something to stop him, and then we're telling God, come on, you know. And I was like, well, what is this? And I felt like God told me what this logjam was, and I think it's what's preventing us as believers to actually live as believers or preventing us as people who follow Jesus to actually experience the life that we're called to have, okay, and the freedom that we're called to have. And like you say, man, I see these people in the Bible. Or I hear these stories of Christian people doing these amazing things, and I, my life doesn't look anything like that. I think I have a big piece of it for us today, and I believe it's something that God gave me. I will say this, um, I mentioned last time that my dad is an artistic person, um, he's a professional artist, and that genetically is in my makeup, but then also my entire mom's side of the family, they're all doctors, and uh, that's also, (laughs) so what I mean by that, what I'm trying to say is that um, it's good, it's a good thing, I guess, because I can track with the very feely, touchy-feely artistic stuff. That makes a lot of sense to me. But then also, so does like very logical, sciencey stuff makes a lot of sense to me. And window inside my head is that often <laughs> those two things are at war with each other because they don't always agree or, you know, this feels right or doesn't make sense or, you know, or feels wrong. And, you know, and so some messages I give, I think, come more from, I don't know, I, I, people say right and left brain and I can't remember what those represent. So I guess it doesn't matter. There's only two. So some of these 
messages come from my right brain and some come from my left brain. This one's coming from both, and I haven't got it all totally worked out to where I know where it fits. So I, it may seem a bit jumbled, but I hope it's organized enough from the organized part of my brain, whichever side that is. So <laughs> since I think it's important, I'm going to pray one more time, and then I'm going to work through it quickly so that we're not here all day. All right. So Father, we pray that you would bless our ears to hear this. Uh, the prayer that uh, they would pray at the revival years ago, dear Jesus, speak to our hearts and change our life in the precious name. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. So, I believe the blockage is causing us to miss a great deal of what God is doing in our world and in our lives. Is a blockage made up of two things. And I'm going to say them a bunch of different ways, but the two things are this: one, we are not aware of what God is really like or what God is really doing. Those are the same 1A and B, I guess. And two, we are not aware of what God thinks about us. So one is we are not aware of what God is really like or what God is doing. And two, we are not aware of what God thinks about us. And, I, and we're going to go through this, but then we sing a song, and we're going to sing it at the end. Um, you might recognize it from other weeks you were here. It's kind of interesting. Pastor Jeff talks about when he speaks how often... Um, the message he has and the songs we end up picking independently fit so well together. That happened today. Kayla put in these songs. I didn't. And then all the songs we were singing, I was like, wow, that's what I'm talking about. You know, and it looked like I planned this whole thing. I did not. But I believe God did. And so as I'm going through these subjects, you might realize we just sang so much of this stuff with the songs Good, Good Father and, you know, Waymaker and all these songs that we just sang are talking about the same stuff. So I could really kind of stop, but I'm going to make it clear. But there's another song we sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place, fill the atmosphere, and all this kind of thing. There's a bridge on that song, and it has two lines. One says, let us become more aware of your presence. And the second part is, let us experience the glory of your goodness. And then we sing that over and over again. We're going to sing it at the end. And that's the prayer that I want us to have as a church and as individuals. That God, we want to be more aware of your presence, and we want to experience the glory of your goodness because this whole Christian thing isn't just about trying harder because it doesn't do anything. And that's, so fo- and, and that's so focused on our own efforts that it's ridiculous, you know. So, we're gonna, so the thing about it, knowing what God is like and, and knowing uh, uh, what he thinks about us. And, and I, ran, I was looking for a quote and I found it that came to mind. It's like a famous quote. But then I found it in the context someone posted a similar contradicting quote. Here's two. So the quote I was trying to remember, and I found it, it was by A.W. Tozer, a famous Christian teacher, preacher from last century, a half ago, kind of. He was like the late 1800s to the 1950s or 60s or something. He died. Um, incredible guy. He says all kinds of stuff. I mean, you'll hear him quoted all the time. And he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Meaning that how we think God is defines so much of our lives. But the interesting thing was I found that quote when I searched for it online. I was like, oh, okay, good. That's a Tozer quote. That's good. That's awesome, you know. And then the person posted just below it this other quote from C.S. Lewis, who is another great Christian thinker you guys, I'm sure you've heard of. And uh, he said this. this was the, the quotes were just on an article like, Quote one, quote two. I copy and pasted it exactly. There was no commentary. It was just kind of like, hey, what do you think about this? Here's the second quote from an equally great Christian thinking man. He says, 
I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. He might even be talking about what the other guy wrote. <laughs> he says this, by God himself it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. And I was like, whoa. And then you say, well, which one's right? I, go, I have no idea. And I really actually don't think it matters because for my message, <laughs> those are the two things we're talking about. So wh whichever one you think is more important might just be the one you struggle with more. Um, or maybe, I don't even think these two things are totally contradictory. But what's interesting about it is in this day and age, think about that on Facebook. That wouldn't exist. You're like, I'm a C.S. Lewis guy. I hate Tozer now. You know, and then other people are like, I'm a Tozer person. This C.S. Lewis guy is a you know, So it's okay if Christian people disagree about some of this stuff, all right? And the thing they're arguing about is what's most important. And we're going to just say they're both incredibly important. And we're going to look at the life of Jesus in light of these two things, becoming aware of God's presence and experiencing the glory of his goodness. And we're going to look at Jesus' life 2,000 years ago, okay, and talk about this. I think when we talk about the awareness of God's presence, um, like what we think God is like, all right? I, heard, I, read, I listened to this um, study this week. It was a, a, a theologian was sharing it. Like, what comes to mind when you think of Jesus? What comes to mind when you think of God? What is God like? If a friend of yours that doesn't know the Lord, you start to describe him. Like, you can't use Bible verses. I know that's, you should use Bible verses. And if you don't know some, start memorizing some. But if you couldn't, okay, and you had to just use words that you know, well, God is like, you know, and what kind of words would come to mind? Here's an interesting study that this group did. This was, he was quoting, this was a theologian who was sharing this, and he was quoting some psychologists. I don't know their names. I don't know where this, I know it happened in Wales, I think, because he said it. But I don't believe they were Christian. They might have been. Um, but it was an actual psychological test. I think it was published. You know, this wasn't like an online what Muppet are you type test, you know. This was an actually, like, clinically studied thing, okay? And what they did is they asked people in this quiz um, uh, questions about their personality. You know, there was a lot of those. And then there were some distracting questions about their lives, their history, and all this sort of stuff just to kind of get them. None of those were even considered. They were just distraction. And then at the end, they snuck in some questions as to what you think Jesus was like. And they said was like, this was like... This was for Christians and non-Christian people. So they weren't looking at Jesus as God. They were just looking at Jesus as like a historical figure. You know, like, what do you think George Washington was like? That kind of thing. Um, and people answered. Well, I think Jesus. And then they found this. This is interesting. This was psychologists doing this now, okay? There was 100% correlation between what those people had filled in that they were like and what they thought Jesus was like. 100%, meaning all the introverts thought Jesus was introverted. All the extroverts thought Jesus was extroverted and more and more stuff like that. And there's, an old, there's another old saying that says, like, God created man in his image and we return the favor. Meaning that we often think of God to be the same way we are. So this seminary professor said, wow, this is interesting. So he teaches at a seminary to future pastors. And, he was, and he, at the time, I guess, he's teaching a class on the Gospels and Jesus. So the first day of class, he gave everybody the same test. The results came back, 100% correlated or something, you know. Then after like a year of studying, 
Jesus in the Gospels, by already pretty studied people, they took the test again, and it came back again. I think it was like 99% correlated or something like that. So, he, so his point was, and I agree, that when you think of God, you've got to be very diligent to not just be looking in the mirror, okay? And don't think you're the one person who doesn't do this, okay? You're not. <laughs> you could take the test if you want, but I'm pretty sure it would come out, yeah, you at least 99% think God's a lot like you. God has the same interests you do. And I'm not saying to put us all down. This is a human condition, you know? But what I am saying, like, I, I used to say a joke. It was the, the trouble with Jesus is he's alive, you know? Like, for example, George Washington. I could write a book about George Washington saying how I think he was. George Washington ain't going to show up and complain, you know? You know, if you start saying things about Jesus that aren't true, he might start proving you wrong. And some of you, I would ask for a show of hands who are older, would admit that God has proven you wrong a bunch of times, you know. I've been certain, that, so we had some hands in the back. I've been certain about certain things. Like, I was like, God doesn't ever do that. And then, boom, there he is doing it. And you're like, gosh, I don't have to think about that. And it's not just from reading the Bible. It comes from the Bible. You know, you, so, but just have that in mind. So one, the Jesus we're thinking of is often too much like us. And then number two, which is related to that, is what you think Jesus is doing or what you think Jesus does is often too limited. People say God in the box, you know. But I mean, I'm just saying limited. You know, it might be limited to your interests or your, you know, that kind of thing. There was a Babylon Bee <laughs> article. Do y'all know what that is? It's like the onion for Christian people. You need to get in on that. It's pretty funny. There was something that said like local Christian man uh, feel. Or, or it was like, I can't remember exactly. They're always the headlines are funny. It was something like, local, everything, local man, everything local Christian man feels called to, he also really likes. You know, there's, it's helpful if we admit some of this stuff sometimes. But if you read the Bible, you've got to be careful because you can read it knowing the, like, especially you grew up in the church. I know all these Bible stories. I know the stories about Jesus. So you, you know the answer already. So you're kind of Monday morning quarterback thing. Like, I would have done that. Or I, I probably wouldn't have thought that. Or glad I'm not like that guy. You know, that's not the right way to read this. This is a tool that God is giving us. This is his word, the, the, a testimony of what Jesus did while on earth and how humans, just like us, interacted with it. So you don't read it going, I would have just got it all. We would have been like the people in the book, all right? Maybe not all of us are like every single thing, but you have to use it like this is what Peter said. You, might have, you would have at least thought it. Maybe you didn't have the guts. You, you see what I'm saying? And so this is a way that God uses it to sharpen us and refine us even now, 2,000 years later. You follow what I'm saying? So when Jesus was born, there was never a moment. There was, I mean, before Jesus was born, there was never a moment where Jesus is not God. Do you understand that? Never a moment. It's like in the beginning was the Word. All was created through Him. Every single thing, you know, Jesus is God, okay? And there's never a moment when he's not God. And we have to have this as I'm about to go through a story. And there's also, as Jesus is born, from that moment forward till right now and for all eternity, there's never a moment that Jesus is not human and fully human. I'm going to read a scripture here, which is going to seem a little bit maybe out of place. It's from Hebrews 2. When I made my notes, I wrote Hebrews 5, and then I was trying to put it in the computer, and it wasn't there. And I was like... This isn't going well. We found it. It was Hebrews 2. Um, but I'm going ref to refer to this a couple times because it sets the context for a bigger picture of what we're going through. 
fully human Jesus, okay? Hebrews 5, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those, free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, that's us. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like him, fully human in every way. Which way? Every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement, putting us back in relationship with Father, with God for the sins of the people. He made atonement for us because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. So, you have to think about Jesus and when you read about his life, I heard somebody say, don't think about him being God all over the place. You know what I mean? Which, in fact, is exactly what he was. And so, like, it's good to actually go, like, well, that is what God would do. Because Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. So he is being God all over the place. But not in the way of, like, just floating in. And, you know, I'm sure he never experienced pain. I'm sure, it's like, this is ridiculous. But we tend to, like, if you're not careful, kind of go into that way of thinking. Well, he's God, right? So he's not the same life I live. So bear with, I'm going to start saying some things to help break that. I don't want any of this to feel like it's dishonoring God or heresy or anything like that, but just bear with me. I'm trying to help free our minds that we have to not think of Jesus just floating around, being God all over the place. When he was tempted, he didn't, he didn't even, you know, he doesn't feel like I felt, like this kind of thing. This scripture is literally saying the opposite, and there's plenty more. I just picked this one because I thought it was, it was good. So I'm going to talk about a story of when Jesus was just getting started in his public ministry. He started sharing some things, and some people were reacting to him, and he started calling some disciples. And uh, there's an interesting exchange that happens that we're going to look at. Um, and you can see it. It's, it it's, it's in most of the Gospels. I think it might be in all of them. But in John 1, 45 to 46, it says this, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And the response from Nathanael, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Which was like, a old, it was like an old saying people would say, like, that place, you know. And... Uh, and then, and then he says, come and see. Philip says this, come and see, you know. So it, it, what I want to stop here, because I don't want to move on, that like Jesus is gathering his disciples, the guys that are going to be like the 12, you know, starts this whole thing that we're still doing through, you know. Um, when you look at this guy's reaction, Daniel, he's like, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Which might have been a funny thing to say, you know, so he's kind of being funny. So like think of Jason saying that. This is like a Jason moment. Jason would say that. <laughs> um, uh, I want to ask you, is that a reasonable question? Like, do you think that's an actual, like, is that reasonable? And, 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 and if, you, if you don't think so, I want you to think about this. What did Jesus done up until this point? Not a whole lot, right? Not a whole lot that we really know. I'll tell you what he's been doing. And now, now keep in mind, 
this pronouncement, you got a guy who comes up, a friend of yours who comes up and is like, hey, and you're, you're a Jewish person who's been waiting for the Savior of the world for some thousand years. And then your friend comes up to you and says, hey, we found him. You might be skeptical, you know, maybe just a little. And, uh, but we know, oh, it's Jesus, of course he's the Messiah, so I'm not going to, you know, you probably would be skeptical. Like when your friend says, hey, God's doing this amazing thing, you might, you might yeah, you know. I think it's reasonable, okay? Like the logical path that I was talking about, you know. I'm like, okay, I get it, you know. Because what had Jesus done up until that point? He wasn't brought up in a priestly family like you see in the book of Samuel where, like, you know, his mom gives him to the temple to be raised and the voice of God comes to him. You know, he did have some pretty spectacular things happen at his birth. We do know about those things. But otherwise, it goes dark for a little while. And people have put together a lot of what it was like. And... uh think about this. Like I said before, there was never a moment Jesus was not God. Okay? Ever. And as a human, there was never a moment he wasn't human. So Jesus, as the fully God-man, lived on earth about 30, 34 years, something. Um, Kevin nodded in approval. So, and he spent, to the best of our knowledge, about 30 of those years doing normal people stuff. And the largest component of that professionally was that he was we most times people translate the word carpenter which is actually not exactly right but it's like contractor he was a builder and in Nazareth was actually there was a lot of builders there because there was a couple nearby towns that had been burned down and stuff and so there was lots of work so Joseph his father was a contractor which there wasn't a whole lot of wood up there they probably did work with wood so if you have a picture of Jesus making something out of wood on your wall you can still have it up but (laughs) He probably mostly worked with stones like a mason, which is kind of interesting because you start to think when Jesus is teaching people, he starts to bring out stuff in parables, like he talks about, you know, building on the the rock and not the sand. He knew a thing about that, not just because he was God, because he knew about building stuff. And he talks about being a cornerstone because he knows about laying stones. It's kind of interesting, I think, you know, maybe that's the nerd side of me, but I think it's very interesting, and he also, once you want to, we tend to think about, um, this is a God thing, and this is just my life, you know, and I don't know what things you put in those categories, but if you're a believer and you're following the Lord, those categories don't exist, they don't exist to God, and they shouldn't exist to us. Because first off, this just your life thing is extremely important to God in every way, way more than you, than you are, it's important to you. Like, it's way more important to God about you needing a new roof on your house than it is to you, okay? And yes, God is infinite. Yes, God knows there's trouble in Kurdistan. And yes, he still cares more about it than you do. This is just how God is, okay? He's not too busy to deal with that. But these categories, I think, are fundamentally wrong. And if you want to look at the life of Jesus just in time spent, if he spent... The most of his time on earth, never not being God, working with people, building, other stu- building people's houses. Like, I think about, like, what if you were living in a nearby town, and you, f- and you like, go out and it's like, hey, there's this Messiah guy. And you go over and he's, like, healing people. And you're like, isn't that the guy who put on our deck? <laughs> I mean, that's, like, that's kind of the stuff people were having to deal with, you know? 
And you're like, it is. And then the other guys that are like, <laughs> the other thing that's funny to me, I think about other contractors. And they're like, hey, man, do you hear Jesus is the Messiah? You're like, which Jesus? You're like, you know, Joseph's son. You're like, wait a minute, that guy's God? You're like, yeah, it's like, oh, crap. I wish I hadn't told some of those jokes I told when we were working. <laughs> but my point is this. I'm talking about being aware of his presence, all right? He was God the whole time. Now, he might not have told everybody the whole time, but it had been declared. I mean, the Magi had already declared it. The angels had already declared it. God had already declared it. He was God then. They just didn't know. My point is this. All that stuff you think is just your life, or you think is unimportant, or you don't even want to bring up to God, God's at work there. We sang this, even when I don't feel it, you're working, even when I don't see it, you're working. And I'm arguing that also that like, even when you don't even think about asking about it, he's working. Because he never stops working, you know. And we, but my prayer is that we could be more aware of his presence. That we're not always caught so off guard. Like, oh man, that guy? You know? Can anything good come from there? That's the other thing, is being, uh, it's okay to be skeptical. Um, but... Uh, there's often a time where God's trying to do something in your life and it's going to come from the most unlikely place. It could be the most unlikely person. It could be the most unlikely thing. Um, this happens so often. That I don't even have to go into examples. But Jesus coming from Nazareth makes this point for all eternity. You know, yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Yes, that fulfilled prophecy. Yes, it, this, him being in Nazareth fulfilled prophecy. He was actually prophesied that he'd be a Nazarene. But it's a dumpy little town. No one's thinking about it. You know, he did not grow up in a priestly house. He grew up in a, in, a, in a contractor's home. And it's pretty good likelihood that his father died. Because we don't hear about Joseph later. And uh, most scholars agree that he probably died, um, which meant Jesus probably had to take over the, as the man of the house at an earlier age than he maybe even should have. And if you think about that, God... You're acquainted with the cross because you know the story of Jesus and the suffering that he had to um, go through. As it says, to put us back in right relationship with God, to make atonement for the wrong things we've done. But you think about him experiencing the loss of a father. Now, I can't 100% guarantee you this happened, but I bet it did. And he experiences the exact same things, or he experienced, let's say it that way. He experienced what we experienced, and he can relate to it. So there's nothing you can bring to him that he's like, I don't know what that's like. Can you tell me what that's like? The scripture I just read said, so that he can fully human in every way. Hmm. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So don't limit Jesus. Don't limit Jesus to where he can move, what he can do, and what he can do in your life. Some of you continually speak over yourselves these incredibly horrible things that somebody else told you. They're not true. And that's not what God sees. So let me get into the second point. Experience the glory of your goodness. I think that some of us are limited in two ways. One, I think we're fearful of Jesus, and we want to earn his approval. Okay? I'm just telling you the answers before I go through them so you know what I'm getting at. And two, the same thing. We think what Jesus loves is too limited. 
that we are unlovable. And like I'm saying, I'm, I'm speaking to those of us that are, that, are, that are believers, okay? I think to some extent this applies to everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you know? And this is not love that we love him, that, but it's that he loved us when we were yet sinners. So God's love is for sinners. But this part I'm going to go into, I want you to, I'm speaking to believers here, so I'm saying this very clearly. I'm certain this is for all believers, and I'm kind of certain that it applies a lot to everybody else as well, okay? But we don't need to get into that today because it doesn't matter. Jesus' baptism um, is another thing, and it happened in his life at about the same time. And what you see is in, it's in all the Gospels. Again, I'm going to read the one out of Matthew, Matthew 3, 16 to 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went down, John the, Baptist, John the Baptist baptized him. John the Baptist was preparing the way for the Messiah, and he was baptizing people. He baptized Jesus. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At the moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him, landing on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, same sort of thing. Is this a reasonable pronouncement? And of course, this is a reasonable pronouncement. But I'm thinking that the reason most of us are thinking it is, is probably not the reason fully that it is. Okay? Um, I think that when I say that, you're saying something like, well, of course, he's God. So, yeah, of course, it's right. You know, Jesus is the Messiah, you know. And I do think he's making a point here. God is making a point. This also echoes, I mean, we spoke about this two weeks ago or three, whenever it was, that, you know, when Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah, God says almost the same thing. In one translation, or one gospel, he says the exact same thing. This is my son whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, you know. And he's definitely making a point that Jesus is the Messiah. It even echoes prophecies. Um, But I don't think... He's talking about primarily, okay? I don't think he's primarily making a pronouncement of, over Jesus as either God or uh, like his sinless life or what he'd done up until that point. Because what had Jesus done yet? <coughs> he was a carpenter or contractor up until this point. So... I take back what I just said. I'm going to say this. I don't think this is primarily a pronouncement to declare that Jesus is God. All right. I think this is a messi- I think this is messianic. All right. I don't want you to hear that wrong. Yes, he's saying a voice from heaven said this. So he's saying this is a this is a, you know pay attention. Okay. The, yes, but the reason he's saying it, I don't think, is mostly because he's God. Okay. And I also don't think it's mostly because he was sinless. I do think that it is pleasure of God over his life up to that point, including all of his contracting and all that. But let me explain what I'm trying to say, because this is, this is the part where my other artistic brain got involved. And this is very important. I wrote it down to be clear, okay? Because I think that this is what I'm thinking, okay? God loves Jesus and is pleased with him. And we fought, and, he, and through Jesus, this pleasure that God is seeing echoes when God makes Adam, the first man, he makes mankind, he looks at his creation and he says, 
this is good. Before sin, before any of this, he goes, this is good. Okay? Then we get involved, Satan gets involved, and we mess the thing up. Jesus comes back as part of God's plan to restore his creation. And God says to him as the second Adam, which is also in the Bible, this is good. And through what Jesus offers us to believers, this is what God says to you. When he looks at your life, he says, this is my son and this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And I want you to hear that separate from your life. All the sin, okay? Because what I believe this pronouncement over Jesus is predominantly is not, what I was saying is not predominantly because he's God, but predominantly something God says over man, okay? Do you follow what I'm saying there? The fully God part, Jesus gets that. God gets that. They're, this, they're the same, like they get it, you know? But the man being that, being declared over a man again, you, you see the significance of this. And then through Jesus, he can declare this over all of us, and he does. A lot of us are uncomfortable with this because we want to earn it. Most of the men feel that way. Like, I want to pay my own way. Newsflash, you can't, okay? And then a lot of us go, he can't say that over me because I'm too rotten. Or you don't know what I've done. But I just made clear to you, he does know what you did. He does know what you're doing. He's there. He was there when you told the jokes. You might wish you didn't, but he was there. I wrote this down because I don't want to say it wrong, okay? Jesus, God is making a pronouncement that mankind again can be seen as, as good and pleasurable. And that Jesus even coming, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You need to see this separate from whatever you see when you're looking at your life. And I'm I just, here, just, I wrote this down. God's pleasure with us. Because, yeah, this is it. You might be comfortable with me, the first half of this, you know, this is my beloved son. And this is my beloved daughter. You're like, okay, God loves the world. Sure, that's great. What if I say to you, in whom I'm well pleased? This is where I think most of us go, I don't know about that. Like if I was like, stand up if you feel like God is pleased with you. I think most of us go, I don't want to, I mean, people will think I'm prideful or something. Jesus had no problem standing there doing that. As a man. Okay? I read this. God's pleasure with us, I believe, is not correlated exactly with our sinfulness or sinlessness. They are related, and are certainly and there are certainly times in the Bible where it says God is angry with us for what we are doing. One must only reflect for a moment on the flood and on Sodom. But there is a deeper love that I believe God shows us with the sending of his son Jesus. Like the father of the prodigal waiting for his son to return, God's heart is towards us even in our sin. His love is that powerful. To me, this shows the absolute sovereignty of God. He can be pleased with his creation, 
no matter what damage Satan or we have caused to it. He can see what he intended it to be. And he alone, by the blood of his Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, can restore it back to exactly what he intended. But we won't let him because we'd rather try to earn it ourselves. I hope this is making in your heart the point that I feel like God wants to make because I feel like it's so simple that um, it can just be lost. When I saw this vision in my mind or this picture of this kind of log jam, And I, I literally felt like God said to me, he's like, people just don't know that I love them. Like, we won't let him love us. And uh, I see God like a, like when they say God the potter, I see God like a potter. And he's made something beautiful. And then Satan and us got involved and smashed it to the ground. And it's broken. And it needs to be restored. And what I see, and this is all of creation, okay? All of creation is crying out to be restored. It's broken on the floor. It's like God made this beautiful vase, and then we smashed it. Maybe accidentally like a child, like we were just careless. We turned our back on him. We, we didn't do what he said. We, t- we knocked it down, and it smashed. And I think that what I see God like is he's picking up these pieces. And as he's setting them down, he's able to reconnect them and restore it back into the, and, and each time he's picking up a piece, he's like, gosh, this is really beautiful. And all we see is the mess we've made. All we see is all this broken life and broken promises and broken, you know. And what Jesus is, every piece he's picking up, he's like, gosh, this is so beautiful, you know. And he's happy to restore it for the joy set before him. And that is a bit unsettling because um, we like to imagine that we can hide from God like Adam. When Adam commits the sin, him and Eve, they hide from God, which is funny. Um, <laughs> and I guess God plays along, you know, where are you guys? <laughs> you know? and, um, but I see the prodigal father. And when we even turn our back and slap him in the face, he doesn't say, I mean, he'll let, he'll let you leave. He'll let you ruin your life. He'll let you go all the way to hell. But he's longing for us to come back. And his love, and he's never not, you know, waiting to receive us. And I, and I know that because in the parable that Jesus shares about this father is he runs out to meet him. That's the love of God. Kayla, come on up here. I'm going to start playing while I'm finishing this. The love of God is depicted in this moment. When you finally say, okay, fine, God. I'll go back. And I, I, you'll be like that guy because you're like, okay, look, this is messed up. You're like, hell, this is not good. This is, this is bad. I'll go back. And I'll tell God I'll pay him back for everything. And I don't even need to be, I won't even be a son because I, I can't do that anymore because I've screwed this up so messed up. 
but I'll pay for the smashed thing and I'll just, you know, I'll live as a servant, you know, and God doesn't have, he doesn't waste his time with any of that nonsense. And this is holding us back more than I think anything as a church, maybe as believers in the, I don't know. I know it's for us. We need to be aware of Jesus. He's greater than we can imagine. And he's also far more human than we can imagine. Far more present than we can imagine. Far more loving than we can imagine. We need to be aware of his goodness, the glory of his goodness. You can't earn it. Can you hear this when I'm trying to tell you? You can't earn this. You've already got it. (laughs) You don't deserve it. None of us do. And that doesn't change that it's real. You may not even like it that God loves you or that he's pleased with you. It doesn't matter. You think you can change God? God loves you now. It's not about what Jesus was going to do. It's how he was able to do it. This pronouncement over Jesus, can anything good come from Nazareth? He doesn't. He doesn't. That doesn't faze him, you know. And the cool thing is the next thing that happens, he's like, come and see. Come and see, you know. So he comes and sees him, and Jesus says one thing. He's like, I know, I know this is a true son of Israel. I saw you sitting under a tree. And he's like, whoa, you weren't, whoa, you must be a prophet. Like, dude, and he says something kind of like, you know, you'll yeah, you're right, but like, that that was a that was a low ball, dude. Like, you know, you're about to see a lot. If you thought that was cool, you know, and that's what God's saying to you, you know. He's like, you just don't even have any clue. These aren't these aren't the A team guys. These are his team. And then the other thing. When God says over Jesus at his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, I think Jesus believed it. And you go, well, duh. And I go, no, he believed it. That's why when he's hanging on the cross, he can still say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because he believed it. That's why he could. You have to understand this, guys. You can't, you can't just grit your teeth and pretend like this stuff isn't real. It's more real to God than it is to you. But he's given you his love in spite of it. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. This is Paul talking. And he's saying, he's like, I'm like the other apostles. <laughs> but the other apostles were different than me. They, went, they walked with Jesus. They lived with Jesus. And some of them suffered with Jesus. And I came in killing them all. <laughs> and God chose me as an apostle. He's like, I didn't. And then they didn't earn it either, but I didn't earn it. It's by the grace of God that I am what I am. But it's not without effect. 
I'm going to read this Hebrews again, and we're going to sing this song. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Flood this place and fill the atmosphere and break this logjam in our lives and in our hearts. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. So I don't know if you're being tempted. I don't know if anything I just said connected with you. But I want to ask you to stand. And I want you to sing this song with us. It's our prayer. We're going to sing it together. And if you need to come and spend time with God in prayer here at the front, that's fine. If you want to spend time in prayer as we sing that's also fine. I've asked Kevin to come up and close out the ninth inning at the end. And uh, <laughs> I want to play the guitar with these people. And so I'm going to pray. God, I pray that as we sing this song, that it would be a prayer for this body. And that we would be marked as people that are aware of your presence and the experience the glory of your goodness and the joy that comes with that, Father. We would not be marked by a log jam where you're pouring out your spirit and it's just being blocked pray you would bring freedom in this place and that you would shut the mouth of the devil in Jesus' name.